For those of you who don't know, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am just grateful that all of you could be with us today. And um, just a quick uh, explanation. Um, many of you know my wife has had some health problems, and she, there's been awesome progress. There was a setback this week, so it required me to stay home most of the week to take care of her. And um, the beautiful thing is that we have... Um, I would say, a brotherhood of pastors here in San Diego. And we can call on each other in times like these and ask them to come in and, and preach for us and encourage us. And, and I think it's good. I think that's the way that God wants it here in San Diego because no one church is going to reach their city for Christ. It's, you know, the churches have to love each other. The pastors have to love each other. And it used to be for a very long time that churches were in competition with each other, which is nonsense. Um, Tim Kane is here uh, with us this morning. He's been a brother to me for a very long time, uh, an encouragement to me uh, on many levels. He has pastored me. Um, in, in meaningful ways, and uh, I've been able to preach at his church as well, and uh, so it's just, a, it's, you guys have no idea how blessed we are to have that kind of relationship um, with other pastors and churches in San Diego. So I'm going to read his text for him, and then uh, we will welcome him up to preach for us. This morning, this morning we are reading from Matthew chapter 2. Uh, verses 1 through 18, and it says this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. 
Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is God's word. Would you welcome Tim Kane, please? Well, it's great to be here. And yeah, we, we love Matt at Kaleo Church so much. And he's come and preached for me. And I always enjoy getting to be here. So uh, let's pray. And uh, dear God, we just ask that you come and and open our eyes to see what you want to teach us this morning through your word. We read this story and see very different responses to the birth of your son Jesus. And God, we just ask that you would open our eyes to see, to see the right response. And that you would help us, God, to, to pursue you even as these wise men did. And to worship you the way that they did. And to find that you will fill us with the joy that comes when... When we gaze upon Jesus, when we see him, when we realize how beautiful and worthy he is. God, give us that joy this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It's not uncommon for, for, for different people to respond very differently to the same situation. So you're all familiar with that. I remember one time, it's a little bit applicable since we're up here. I, I was a basketball coach and we never made it to CIF, but I would always take uh, the kids down to Viejas Arena, and we'd watch the CIF championship game because I hoped it would like inspire them, and maybe the next year that we would make it, and it never did. But uh, but one year Escondido was actually playing in the CIF championship game against the team I don't remember. They were in green though, and uh, and it was a good game, and it came down to the last second, and Escondido's best player had the ball, almost no time left, down by two. He shot the ball, missed, it went out of bounds. The whole like, side of the stadium of green just rushed the court. Court's full of all the green. Uh, people cheering. Escondido guys, you know, sitting on the ground, you know, walking back to their bench. Fans are stunned. And, uh, and it was crazy because it took a while, but eventually the refs started blowing the whistle, and they kicked everybody off the court. And we're like, what's going on? And they decided to put .4 seconds back on the clock. So put .4 seconds back on the clock. But none of the green team went back to their seats. All the fans just stood around the outside of the court because they thought they were about 0.4 seconds away from coming back onto the court. But Escondido ran this out-of-bounds play. The kid, like, caught it in the corner, jumped out of bounds, shot it up, and somehow it just went in. And it was the craziest thing because the kids that were crying, like, literally a couple minutes earlier were, like, hugging each other and screaming. The fans that were just on the court... We're just like absolutely stunned. The Escondido people that were like getting ready to walk out were rushing the court and pushing through all the green people to get there. And it was just, it was crazy. But it, very different responses to the exact same event. Today, we're going to read the Christmas story that Matthew gives us. I'm gonna, we're going to retell that story. And what we're going to see is that Matthew highlights very different responses to this one event, the birth of Jesus. Matthew 2, 
verse 1, we see Jesus is born in Bethlehem during the time of Herod the king. And we find out wise men, probably from, from Babylon, a lot of people think, because Babylon had uh, a lot of Jewish people there, so they would have been familiar with the scriptures. And, and they see this star and, and, be, and believe that this king, the king of the Jews must be born, the king that they'd read prophecies about in the Hebrew scriptures. And they begin to make their way. They pack up their camels. They gather their treasures. They make their way across the desert. When they arrive in Jerusalem, they start asking around. So verse 2, where is this baby that was born king of the Jews? We, we saw a star in the east and we have come to worship him. But nobody knows what on earth these guys are talking about. They're just like, dude, these, all these foreigners come in talking like they know about some king being born, and all the Jews are sitting there like, no one gave us the memo. Like, what's, what's happening, you know? Herod, who is a little bit, like, paranoid already, uh, just heard about this other king, and he gets all disturbed. And when Herod got disturbed, everybody else got disturbed, and he gathers the, the, the religious leaders, and he brings them in, the scribes, the, the, the chief priests, and he asks them when... When's the Messiah supposed to be born? Where is he supposed to be born? Of course, the, the, the religious leaders love to be needed. And it's kind of cool because this was an easy question. They already knew the answer to it. And so they come and, and they tell Herod in verse 5 and 6, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Once Herod found out where the Messiah was going to be born, he went to the wise men to find out how old he would be, how long ago they saw the star. And once he got those things figured out, he sent them to Bethlehem to find the baby. Verse 8, he says, Go, search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring word that I may too may come and worship him. So they listened to the king. They took off for Bethlehem. But the truth is they had to be pretty discouraged. I mean, think about it. They packed up their treasures. They saw this star. I mean, it was a big enough deal in their minds to travel for months across the desert with their treasures on their camels coming to find this king. They assumed everybody in Israel would have already known and be celebrating that they were going to get to the party maybe a little bit late, but they still wanted to be there. Then they travel all this way, and nobody seems to care. The only person interested is this, like, paranoid king that's kind of, they got some questions about, you know. And, uh, and the crazy thing is the religious leaders that know the most about the Messiah, the ones that told him where to find him, won't even travel six miles to see him. And so they're thinking, if these scholars who have studied the Word of God all their life think we're stupid and won't travel six miles to see if we're right, maybe we made a mistake. Maybe our calculations are off. They would have had to have been very discouraged. But then all of a sudden, as they took off from Jerusalem, they see the star again. In verse 9, it says, Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, and it came to the rest at the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It seems likely that they saw a star when they were in Babylon. This star made them believe the king of the Jews had been born. And so that just set them off to Jerusalem where they assumed 
they would find him. But likely they hadn't seen the star in months. They just headed to Jerusalem. And then when they got to Jerusalem, they thought maybe they were wrong and had misjudged the whole thing. But then there again, they see the star and they realize there is a king. We're on the right track. The heavens are declaring his birth. And they rejoice exceedingly with much joy. When they get to the house, they come in it. They see the child and his mother. And they bow down before him. And they open up their treasures. And they offer him their gifts. And then verse 11 says, being warned in a dream, verse 12, not to return to Herod. They departed to their own country. Of course, Herod realizes after a little while that he's been tricked. He grows furious. He sends his soldiers to kill every baby boy under two years old to make sure that the Christ is destroyed. But, uh, but they didn't get Jesus because an angel had come and the night before had warned Joseph and he had taken Jesus and he had fled to Egypt where they lived until Herod died. That's the story. And if you can't tell, you're supposed to read it and think, wow, there's a there's some pretty different responses to Jesus' birth. People traveling for, for across the desert and, and people killing babies, right? This is, this is some real different responses. And tonight or this morning, we're going to take a minute and, and look closer at each of these responses. Because I think what we'll find is that the same way people responded to Jesus' birth 2,000 years ago, is the same way people continue to respond to Jesus today. So uh, let's start with the wise men. The wise men know the least about Jesus. They're foreigners. They're not even Jews. But they pack up their camels and they travel for months in order to come and to worship him. Not only do they travel for months, but when they arrive and they see him, they fall down, they worship him, they open up their treasures and they give them to him. When the angel tells them to return a different way. They have no problem listening to him, and they, they go back. I mean, imagine the sacrifices they made, right? They get there. They don't take a break. They see Jesus after months and months of travel. They probably got to be thinking after this, they're going to take a little R&R in Jerusalem or something, maybe sightsee around Israel or something, right? But they're told they got to get back home a different way right away. That'd be like y'all driving. That'd be like you guys walking, like up to L.A. or something. And then uh, you get to L.A. and, you know, you're visiting your relatives. They invite you in for dinner. And you, 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 then they say, all right, see you guys later. And you have to walk back home. That's crazy. You'd be like, ah, next year we're going to do something different. You know, like, uh, you, you, that, that's crazy. The wise men make massive sacrifices in order to worship Jesus. They leave without anything tangible to show for it. But Matthew tells us that they left rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. The, the wise men know the least about Jesus, but they make the most sacrifices to find him. They sacrifice the most to find him. And they leave with the most joy. No treasure, no rest, no recognition, but joy. Herod, on the other hand, is very different, right? Where the wise men rejoiced, Herod's troubled. Where the wise men 
bow down and worship this king and open their treasures before him, Herod is furious and tries to kill him in order to keep his power. I think it's interesting to think and to consider that both Herod and the wise men actually make radical sacrifices in order to find this baby. The, the, the wise men sacrifice themselves, their time, their treasure, their reputations. Herod sacrifices others. He sacrifices all those little babies in an attempt to find the Christ. The truth is that our world is full of people just like Herod, people whose insecurities lead them to sacrifice others in order to try to maintain some level of control. All of us know people like that, right? We've seen people's insecurities drive them to, to cruelty even in order to maintain control of a situation or in order to be right or in order to win an argument. As the divide in our country grows wider, what we find is there's Herods on both sides. People who care more about their political opinions than about the people that they're trying to, to, to love or lead or care about. People that will do anything they can to stay on top and have no problem if that includes hurting or using others. All of us have seen the destruction that little Herods leave wherever they go, and most of us have decided, I don't want to be like that. So when we read this story and we, we see Herod, we, we're honest enough, most of us, to say, okay, I, I probably haven't made the radical life-altering sacrifices that the wise men made. That's a little extreme. I probably haven't done that. But, but I'm no Herod. Like, I love Jesus. Herod hated Jesus. I, I, I go to church to sing to Jesus. Herod killed people trying to destroy Jesus. So we read this story, and I think a lot of us look and we compare ourselves to Herod, and we say, hopefully that's the way it works, not him, and I'm going to be okay. So I'm not quite the wise man, but I'm not Herod, and I'll be all right. Today I want to show you that there's actually a third response to Jesus' birth, and the truth is I think this third response is the one that's most dangerous for you and I to fall into. The response I want to focus on this morning is the response of the religious leaders. The religious leaders know the most about God, yet they're willing to sacrifice the least in order to follow him. They could answer any question you ask them about the Messiah, but they won't walk six miles to see if he's there. No one in this story is more comfortable than the religious leaders. They lack the longing of the wise men, and they lack the insecurities of Herod. They don't love Jesus because they don't think they need him, but they don't hate him either because they don't see him as a threat. In fact, the religious leaders are fine using Jesus. They don't even mind Jesus' existence. For them, they're actually thankful that he exists because they're able to use him to look better. In this story, how do the religious leaders fit? They use Jesus to show off how much they know. That's all they use Jesus for. The religious leaders know the most about Jesus, but they sacrifice the least in order to find him because they're committed to pursuing their own comforts. They didn't want to take the time to walk six miles because they didn't want to risk the embarrassment of getting there and not finding him. And they didn't want to risk the embarrassment of finding them and realizing that the wise men told them and they didn't discover it themselves. The religious leaders 
desire for comfort keeps them from being willing to make any sacrifices to find Jesus. But you know what else it keeps them from? It keeps them from experiencing the joy that the wise men found. You see, the difference between the wise men and the Jewish leaders came down to what they were pursuing. The religious leaders are pursuing comfort. The wise men were pursuing Jesus. Remember what they said when they got to town, right? Where is he who was born king of the Jews? The wise men are pursuing Jesus. They want to find him because they want to worship him. See, here's the thing. The wise men realized way back in Babylon they had a choice to make. They looked at their comfortable homes. They looked at all of their treasures. They looked at all of their friends and their life and their calendar, and they said, we have a choice to make. We can pursue comfort, and if we do, we will stay here. And we've built a very comfortable life here. Or we can pursue Jesus. And if we do, we're going to pack up our treasures and we're going to get on our camels and we're going to take off. But we cannot pursue them both. The wise men realized they could pursue comfort or they could pursue Jesus, but they knew they could not pursue them both. They understood that and they chose to sacrifice their comforts to pursue Jesus, while the religious leaders also understood that. We can pursue Jesus, or we can pursue our comfort. We can pursue Jesus and walk six miles and be embarrassed if we don't find him, or embarrassed if we do, or we can stay here and be comfortable. Both of these groups understood they had to make a choice. Both of them realized you cannot pursue Jesus and pursue comfort. The wise men willingly sacrificed their comfort to pursue Jesus, and they found joy. The religious leaders ignored Jesus to pursue their comfort, and they found comfort, but they never found joy. I think this story has so much to teach us, especially as Americans. The truth is, one of the most common complaints you hear from Christians is that we lack joy, right? Haven't you ever heard someone say, man, I just lack joy. I wish I had more joy. Haven't you ever felt that yourself? Just, just I feel like I'm lacking. I'm missing something. I just, when you read about the, when you read about the wise men, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Don't you just say, I'll take some of that, right? Like, I, I want some of that. I, don't, I wouldn't mind if I rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That sounds, I'll, I'll take that. You see, I think most of us are looking for joy, but tonight I want us to consider this morning too whether, whether we might be like looking for joy down the wrong path. See, I think many of us are looking for joy down the path of comfort. We think that the joy the wise men experienced can be found down the path of comfort. We think it can be found in comfort, in safety, in security, in possessions, in family, in friends, in, in our careers. But tonight I want you to see that this text comes and it tells us our pursuit of joy is actually keeping us, our pursuit of comfort is actually keeping us joy. I, I want you to consider that for a moment. What if your pursuit of comfort 
is what's robbing you of your joy? What if your pursuit of comfort is what's keeping you from the joy that you long for? You see, the pursuit of comfort will never lead you to joy. Because the pursuit of comfort will never lead you to Jesus. Find me someone in the Bible who worshipped Jesus by pursuing their comfort. In Matthew 6, 24, listen to what Jesus says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Could anything be more clear? Listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to find me, if you want to worship me, if you want to be my disciple, you will not find me down the path of comfort. He says, if anyone would come after me, they actually have to stop pursuing comfort. What do you think deny yourself means if it doesn't mean stop pursuing comfort? What do you think it means to take up your cross if it doesn't mean stop pursuing comfort? If Jesus were to pick any image in the world, is there any image more antithetical to the life of comfort than the cross? Could you pick an image more antithetical to the life of comfort than the cross? The very invention and purpose of the cross, of the cross was to take away comfort. Pursuing a life of self-denial, pursuing a life and pursuing a life of comfort are not compatible. Taking up your cross and seeking comfort do not go together. We cannot pursue Jesus and pursue comfort at the same time because they're not found down the same path. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want religion to make you feel comfortable, he says, I certainly do not recommend Christianity. Here's the thing. I know we want them both. We want them both. I know most of us think we can pursue them both. But Jesus could not be more clear. We cannot pursue both Jesus and comfort. We cannot pursue both Jesus and comfort, which means that if we are pursuing comfort, what aren't we pursuing? We're not pursuing Jesus. And if we are not pursuing Jesus, what aren't we getting? Joy. That's why the pursuit of comfort robs us of our joy. It steals it. We cannot pursue both Jesus and comfort. Now here's the deal. I was writing this sermon and I was hating it. Because here's the thing. It's like Christmas, you know what I'm saying? And it's like... Yeah, you all know it's Christmas. You came here to hear a Christmas sermon, right? And so I'm like, a sermon against comfort on Christmas? Give me a break, please. There's got to be something else with those wise men we can find, right? Like, serious. And so I was like, I got to find something else. And so I worked on finding something else for a while. And then I realized, it just hit me. This is not a sermon against comfort. This is a sermon for joy. I am not against you being comfortable. I am for your joy. 
And if it's true that your pursuit of comfort is robbing you of your joy, then some of the sermon might have to be against the pursuit of comfort. Over and over in my life, I have experienced that my pursuit of comfort has sometimes brought me comfort, but it's never brought me joy. And it's never brought me to Jesus. Think about it. How many of you have ever experienced something like this? Like, you're working so hard. You're working so hard, and you got this, like, day set aside. It's like the light at the end of the tunnel. You're, you've got, you're just looking forward to this. It's getting you through. And you finally decide, you look at this day, and you're like, this is a no-sacrifice day. That's what this is. This is a not-sacrificing-anything day. Like, just, just, just everything, just, just that I can't. This is the, it all ends, and this day is just about me. That's it. About my comfort. That's it. And you get to that day, and you find out not everybody shares your agenda. (laughs) And maybe you get to the end of that day, and you've succeeded in comfort. But I'll tell you, I doubt you get to the end of that day and you say, man, I am rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. You don't, get, you don't feel that way at the end of that day. So here's the thing. If it's true that our pursuit of comfort is keeping us from joy, I think we need to take a few moments and consider some of the ways that we pursue comfort. If it's true that if we pursue comfort, we cannot pursue Jesus, that when we're pursuing comfort, we're not pursuing Jesus, I think we need to just think about ways in our life that we're pursuing comfort. And here's the thing. The pursuit of comfort is so natural, and it's so all around us that I think you and I do it a lot when we're not even aware of it. We're not even really intentional about it. We're not even you know, purposeful with it. It just, it's just we're doing it. So what I want to do is I just want to scratch the surface, tip of the iceberg. I'm going to pick three ways that are evidence that we're pursuing comfort. I encourage you to look for these in your own life because I'm just picking some that you might not think of. The obvious ones and other ones I want you guys to, to even consider and to talk amongst yourselves. But these are three evidences that we're pursuing comfort. One of the ways we pursue comfort is by comparing ourselves to others. Think about it. How many of you have ever compared? That's even a bad question. How often do you and I compare ourselves to others? Right? And I mean, you know why we're comparing ourselves to others. We're hoping that we come out a little bit on top and it'll make us feel a little better about ourselves. We, We compare ourselves to others hoping to find some comfort in it. But here's the thing. The wise men don't compare themselves to others. They're too busy pursuing Jesus to compare themselves to others. Their joy does not come because they found Jesus and no one else did. That's not why they enjoyed it. They would have been fine if other people would have joined them. Their joy came because they found Jesus. Can you picture the wise men bowing before Jesus, offering them gold, and then looking over and saying, Oh, you you did more? I knew it. I knew gold was was like too cliche. Like, I knew it. Like, 
No, you can't picture them. They're not doing that. They're not, they're not looking at each other, seeing what they gave, and saying, oh, I think he liked mine. But they're not doing that. They're like, this is Jesus. This is the king of the Jews. This is the Messiah. All I have is his. My very purpose is to worship him. They're not comparing themselves to others. It is possible to find comfort by comparing yourself to others, but you will not find joy there. You will not find joy in comparing yourself to others, and you won't find Jesus there either. Another evidence that we're pursuing comfort can be found in how often we complain. How often do you and I complain? Like, right? Do you know what complaining is? Complaining is, is it's, it's commenting on the fact that our pursuit of comfort isn't going as planned. That's what complaining is. Complaining is verbalizing something has gotten in the way of your pursuit of comfort. I was pursuing comfort and this happened. Can you believe it? Right, we don't. We we kind of the, the pursuit of comfort is what I'm just saying is like the pursuit of comfort is the given in complaining, but we don't even notice that it's there. That's how all pervasive it is. You know why you don't hear the wise men complaining? It's not because they don't have a reason to complain. I mean, the desert is hot. The nights can be cold. Camel riding can't be fun. I did it one time. It, it's like bumpy. It's like, a, so, and it's a long ride. Getting to Jerusalem and finding that nobody knows why you traveled all those miles has to be a little bit disappointing. Finding out that the religious leaders won't even go that far, six miles with you. There's so much you can complain. Getting to Jesus' house and being like, dude, it's like a two-bedroom. Like, what is this? Like, what kind of king can be in here, right? Like, there's a lot to complain about. Finding out after you saw him that you don't get the break you wanted, but you have to return a longer route, and you have to leave now. There's a lot to complain about, but you know why they don't complain? Because they weren't pursuing comfort. They gave up comfort in Babylon. They were pursuing Jesus, and they found him. So they don't have anything to complain about. And when they found him, they found joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I think the key to not complaining is not pursuing comfort. You see how that would work? That'd be crazy, right? Think about it. If you weren't pursuing comfort, you would have so much less to complain about. Right? Another way that we can see that we're pursuing comfort can be found in the kinds of questions we ask. Some of y'all probably don't verbalize these questions because when you verbalize them, they don't sound that good. But I think a lot of them, we've asked these questions. These ideas like, how much do I need to do to please God? Questions like this that kind of go through our head. Do I need to attend service every single Sunday morning or just like three out of four is probably, it's probably pretty good or, or what, 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 what is like the, 
the, the good number there. You know, what about those crowded houses? Like, is that over the top or is that like something I'm supposed to do? Like, for sure. And this devotion thing, like, seven days a week or like five days a week devotions, which is, is five? Is a five okay or does it have to be seven? And do you have to read a whole chapter when I do my devotions or could I do like meditate on one verse, you know, and uh, just kind of focus on that? And what about these Bible reading and the year plans? That's like four chapters. Do I have to do that? And is it bad if I don't do that? And is it bad if I do that till like January 5th and then don't do that? Uh, what, what about like giving? Do I give 10%? Do I just give whatever's left? What, how, how am I supposed to think about that? Here's the thing. When you hear these questions, it, it makes you feel a little uncomfortable probably. I'll be honest, like it's really uncomfortable even saying these questions out loud, so I apologize. Uh, and the reason we don't like that we're uncomfortable around these questions is because we're afraid that the person preaching about these questions is going to answer them in a different way. And so you're afraid I'm going to give you a different answer than the one you came up with and you're going to feel guilty about it. Well, guess what? I have good news for you this morning. I'm coming to tell you the questions are the problem. It's not the answers that are the problem. It's the questions that are the problem. In other words, the issue is, the issue is, it's not that we're not doing enough. That's not the problem. The issue is we're looking in the wrong place. We lack joy and we ask these kinds of questions. Would I find more if I did my devotions every day? Would I find more if I went to church more often? We, we, these are the questions we ask when we find we don't have joy. And I'm telling you, the questions are the problem. Can you imagine, can you imagine the, the wise men asking these questions? Here's the deal. So we see the, the star. We, we get it. There's a king born. Can we tell God we're thankful for the king from here? Or do we need to travel all the way to Jerusalem? I mean, God hears our prayers everywhere, right? So do we need to go all the way to, to Bethlehem to tell him? Or could we do that from here? Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. How about we send a gift? If, I, if we write a letter, what about a letter and a gift? Would that work? We'll send a letter. We'll send a gift. Is, is that good enough? Okay, okay, fine. If we have to go ourselves, do we still have to bring a gift too? Or like is it enough that like we were there? Like is our, is our travel the gift? Like, uh, like how does that work? You can't even imagine the wise men asking those questions. I want you to notice the assumption behind these questions. The goal of these questions is to pursue Jesus and to pursue comfort. And so the question is based on how much do I have to do to truly pursue Jesus so that I can take all the leftovers and use it to pursue my comfort? What's the minimum that I need to do to pursue Jesus? Okay, it's three weeks out of a month. Fine. The other week's mine. I can feel good about pursuing Jesus and I can get some time to myself. You see, the purpose of those questions is all based on the assumption that you can pursue both. 
So what do I have to do to pursue Jesus? As soon as I check that box off, the rest is for me. As if pursuing Jesus is a sacrifice that's not worth it, and the things you do for yourself are the ones that actually bring joy. But it's backwards. The disciples bring us another perspective. The disciples, the, 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 the wise men offer us another perspective. They show us another question. Throw out all those questions. Why don't we use the one that the wise men used? Where's Jesus? Where is he who was born king of the Jews? Because I want to worship him. Where is Jesus? Because that's where I want to be. That's how the wise men wanted to spend their life. They would have been mad if they could bring gifts. They wanted to bring gifts. They wanted to worship. They brought them joy to leave everything that they had at Jesus' feet. The wise men threw comfort to the birds because, you see, they saw a star and they realized a king had been born and they knew this one is worthy. And when they saw him, they realized my life is about worshiping him. This is what I was made for. In fusion, the wise men saw a star, and they left everything to begin a journey to figure out exactly what it meant. And when they arrived, they found a baby. And when they saw him, they fell on their faces, and they opened their treasures, and they worshipped him. And they left rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. Tonight, this morning, This morning, it's not a star that you and I follow any longer. This morning, Jesus tells us it's a cross. Isn't that what Jesus says in John 12, 32? And I, when I am lifted up, lifted up from the earth on a cross, I will draw all people to myself. The cross has replaced the star. The cross is what draws people from every nation and every tongue and every tribe. This morning, I want you to see the cross, and I want you to, you to say, this cross, I want it to set you off on a journey, a journey to understand all that it means. Won't you leave everything behind like the wise men did to, to seek the one who hung on the cross? If you will do that, if you'll stop pursuing comfort and throw off everything that that holds you back and distracts you to pursue Jesus, what you will find is he's not a baby anymore. The one the wise men saw grew up, and when he did, he showed us the heart of God the Father. He showed us his love. He showed us his power. He showed us his beauty. He showed us his glory. When you look at Jesus, you find someone who refused to pursue his own comfort. What if Jesus would have pursued comfort the way you and I did? Well, he'd still be in heaven. He would have never come to earth. He would have never been born, put in a manger. Certainly would have never went to a cross. Our Savior left comfort in heaven to pursue you and me. 
He knew he could not pursue comfort and pursue us. And he, out of love, chose to pursue us. That's our Savior. The only hope we have in this world is that he pursued us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He despised its shame. And he pursued us that he might bring us joy. John 15, 9, this is Jesus. He says, as the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Listen to verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. John 16, 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take the joy from you. The joy you seek is found in Jesus. It's not found on the path of comfort. Our joy is found in Jesus. And the Bible makes it clear the joy that he offers is infinitely superior to anything that this world offers. All of its comforts. What good does it get to gain the whole world with its comforts if you forfeit your soul? Here's what I can't get over. The wise men, they made tons of sacrifices. And when they saw a little baby, they fell on their faces and gave him everything and were filled with joy. If they could do that because of a star and a baby... How much more should we be able to do it when we know what that baby grew up to do? We know that he went to the cross and he shed his blood so that he could forgive us of our sins. They didn't know that. Can you imagine what they would have thought if they would have known that? They didn't know that. They didn't know that he would rise again, that he would ascend to the right hand of God, the Father, that he would live up there, ever living, to make intercession for them, to take their prayers and lay them before the Father. They didn't know that. We do. They didn't know that he's going to come again, and he's going to rescue them, and they're going to see him face to face. And guess what? When Jesus comes back, when we see him face to face, then the roads merge. Then joy and comfort combine. Then that which brings us joy will also bring us comfort for all eternity. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. In his presence is the fullness of joy. It's when we see him face to face that the roads merge. You'll get your comfort and your joy. But not by pursuing comfort. Not by pursuing comfort. You'll get them by pursuing Jesus. I just want to leave one verse that helped me just see how clearly this is. It's the Apostle Paul. He made this choice to pursue Jesus, and he declares that it's worth it. Philippians 3, 8 and 9. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the all-surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. Here's how I want to interpret this to just put
put it in the starkness that will help us. Paul counted comfort rubbish to gain Christ. You, you can't not see that in this text. It's just, it's night and day. Counted all things rubbish. Comfort is a thing. Paul counted comfort rubbish to gain Christ. And so that just leaves the question for you and me. Are you willing to count comfort rubbish to gain Christ? Paul doesn't want your pity. He doesn't think you have any need to feel sorry for him. He counted comfort rubbish to pursue Christ, and he would do it again a thousand out of a thousand times because what he found when he gained Christ was a righteousness not of his own that came from trying really hard, but the righteousness that comes through faith. What he found when he found Christ was the intimacy of fellowship and his sufferings that he wouldn't have traded for all the comfort in the world. You get that, right? You only get to fellowship with Christ in his sufferings now. Your time is limited. One day that's off the table. One day there'll be no more fellowshipping with Christ in his sufferings because there'll be no more suffering. But today you can. Don't get to heaven without knowing that intimacy that can only be learned through fellowshipping with him in his suffering now. You miss out on that, you miss out on joy. And it's better. Better than anything this world offers. 